John 15 is where we're going to be. Um, now, we've said this before. I know I've said this before, and I, I, I have, it's not original to me. I heard this from another, uh, another Bible teacher, uh, but I thought it was really true, and it's something I hadn't thought of before. But, you know, Jesus was a brilliant teacher. He was a brilliant teacher, right? Uh, we, we tend to, and I know I have, forget this part of Jesus' earthly ministry. He was a rabbi. He was a great teacher, and as such, he would use things at hand to illustrate what he was doing. If you were here with us last week, we did the, uh, the pens versus the crayons competition uh, to illustrate uh, one of the same kind versus one of another kind in a Greek word. And so uh, we did a little bit of that. And so Jesus would do the same thing. He would use kind of things at hand that where he was to teach. Uh, there's a, a number of examples in the New Testament, um, it, even just in John, back in John 7 at the Feast of Tabernacles, as the priest uh, approached the altar, was pouring out the water. That's when Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him uh, come to me and drink. In John 8, we saw that's, this is actually the next day from this part of John. Jesus stands in front of these huge extinguished torches in the temple that symbolize kind of the pillar of fire in the wilderness. And what does Jesus say? I'm the light of the world. Uh, whoever comes and walks with me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So Jesus used sort of what we might call object lessons or just things that were around to illustrate. And so in our text today, in John 15, uh, Jesus is using a grapevine as a sort of metaphor or a parallel to spiritual truth. But why? Why is Jesus using this illustration here? Well, we don't exactly know if he was like, somewhere where he could see grapevines. I mean, they, they probably were close by. Uh, last week, I actually went uh, blueberry picking after church, and uh, there were actually grapevines there as well. So I was thinking about this text as I was walking through the blueberry, blackberry patch, and the grapevines were there with uh, Journey, and we did make blueberry cobbler, in case you were wondering, uh, and it was amazing. But we don't know for sure, but it stands to reason probably, if, if the pattern is true, Jesus maybe is seeing some grapevines. But what we do know is that Israel thought in terms uh, of this grapevine as a great sort of symbol for them. Here's an example from the prophet Isaiah, from Isaiah 5. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. So this metaphor of a vineyard for the people of God, for Israel, was a really poignant symbol. The grapevine for the Israelites, and, and therefore, remember, the disciples here in John 15 was a symbol of national life. Uh, so, some of the stuff that I read was like, th this was a, a lot of nationalism uh, was tied up in this symbol. There are coins minted during the Maccabean period that have this vine symbol on it. They'd be pretty equivalent to how we might feel when we see stars and stripes, right, of red, white, and blue. That They have this national meaning to us. And so there's even a huge gold grapevine that decorates the gates of the temple. 
Uh, you might remember from last week, if you were here, my suggestion dictionaries, expository dictionaries, their usefulness. Well, this is a quote from one called the Kalmuk's Bible Dictionary. It's kind of a famous old Bible dictionary. But this is a quote about uh, this idea of this symbolism of the vine. It says this, in the temple at Jerusalem above and around the gate, or sorry, Above and round the gate, got to get that old school language, 70 cubits high, which led from the porch to the holy place, a richly carved vine was extended as a border and a decoration. The branches, tendrils, and leaves were of finest gold. The stalks of the bunches were of the length of the human form, and the bunches hanging upon them were of costly jewels. Herod first placed it there, rich and patriotic Jews, from time to time added to its embellishment. One might contribute a new grape, another a leaf, and a third even maybe a bunch of the same precious materials. This vine must have had an uncommon importance and a sacred meaning in the eyes of the Jews. With what majestic splendor must it likewise have appeared in the evening when it was illuminated by tapers, which is candles or torches. So the grapevine is a really important symbol of national life for the Israelites. So now here in John 15, Jesus is giving, this is his seventh and his final I am statement where he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. So imagine based on everything we just said, like the silence that probably would have happened to the disciples right then. When Jesus says this, like, wait a minute, what? This is a very uh, sort of poignant meaning-filled way to say this that Jesus uses here. And so the conversation probably stopped at that point, right? You could probably hear kind of like, what, what's Jesus saying here? Jesus is using very forceful words here, right? He's essentially saying, you all know how Israel is pictured as a vine and how that's meant to produce, uh, Israel is pictured as a vine that is meant to produce refreshing fruit, right? Like, we, we value the, the, the fruit that the vine produces. Jesus is saying, well, I am the fulfillment of what that actually is suggesting. I'm the true fulfillment of what that symbol is suggesting. So for us as Christians, this is also a really powerful metaphor that Jesus uses here. So I want to look quickly at verses 2, 4, 5, and 8. Uh, and the rhyming part of me, which it was 2, 4, 6, 8, because who do we appreciate? God. Um, 2, 4, 5, and 8 to see the end game of God. What's God's point in all of this fruit vine uh, language here? Verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Four, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This is true. When I was in that blackberry, blueberry, grape patch, there was a lot of fruit and vines laying on the ground, brown and dead, because they're no longer attached to the vine. Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. In verse eight, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So the end goal here, what Jesus is saying is the end goal of this whole vine grape metaphor is to bear fruit, right? In other places in the Bible, there are other word pictures used for our spiritual life. For instance, Paul, the apostle uses a picture of athletics, right? Which the Olympics are going on. It's a good word picture. But here, Jesus uses this word picture of a vine and its fruit because it has specific meaning to the people that he's speaking it to. And so the reason he did that 
again, is that it's really meaningful to them and through them to us as well as we read this. And so for us, this illustration doesn't have the same punch that it would have had for them, but because it's in our inspired sacred text that we believe is God's word to us, it means that we endeavor to get into this word picture in order to do our part to hear what God is saying to us, his church. That's what our duty is in this. So again, in this word picture of the vineyard, let's break this down, right? Jesus is setting it up like this. God is uh, the gardener. I think there's another word for vineyard keeper. It's like viticulturist or something like that. But God's the gardener. He's the one overseeing the garden, right? That's kind of the, the picture Jesus is setting up. Jesus then sets up himself as the vine. He, the vine is the source of life and nutrients for the branches. You cut the vine, everything else after that dies. That's the picture Jesus is setting up. So maybe if you think of the roots of a tree or any plant, really. So then Jesus is telling his disciples, he's telling us, those who are learning under him, both the ones who are there and you and I who are hearing this now through the scriptures, that we are like the branches that the vine feeds into. But what's beautiful is that where does the fruit grow? It grows on the branches, which is a beautiful little piece of this metaphor that the end game of this, the fruit, is actually Jesus' life lived through us. And so if you know anything about gardening, the branches of the plant are not the end game. That's not what the gardener's after, right? Even, a, even if you're just growing a flower garden, and we're not talking vegetables or fruits, like you don't grow a flower bush just to have a green bush. You grow it to have blooms, right? I mean, you go into any plant store and you can find all kinds of chemicals that will boost the blooms and give you more blooms for you. Because the point is the fruit or those blooms, the end goal of the gardener in this word picture is the fruit. It's the grapes that grow on the vine. And in your life, what God is after, what Jesus wants to see happen is that you would bear fruit. That's what he wants for you. But notice what he really wants. He doesn't just want a little bit of fruit. Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, what they want is to bear much fruit. They want to bear much fruit. And so uh, I can't remember if I've used this illustration here before or not, but you know, I grew up in Florida where there's orange groves everywhere. Uh, and so they smell beautiful at certain times of the year. The orange blossoms happen, and it's amazing. Uh, my memory of them that's most poignant in my mind is when I was on staff at a summer camp, Christian summer camp, for most of my like middle school into high school years. And we lived basically in the middle of an orange grove in this little community in central Florida. Uh, maybe you've heard of Mount Dora, but that's basically where it was. And so we lived in this Christian camp uh, in the middle of this orange grove. In There was about 10 to 12 middle school, high school age boys living in a single wide mobile home in the middle of this orange grove. It was intense. There was like a shower in the kitchen and bunk beds. It was, cra it was crazy. But that's where we lived at Christian summer camp. We were lifeguarding and uh, working in the kitchen and all this kind of stuff. And so uh, when those orange blossoms happened at those certain times during the summertime and sometimes in the wintertime when I would go there, uh, it would release that amazing scent that you get from orange blossoms, right? And it's, it's beautiful. You'll, you'll be driving along the highway and you'll just hit an orange uh, grove and you'll smell the blossoms and it's incredible. But there are some groves where a disease has developed where the entire grove stops producing fruit. 
And so now you've got all these trees, but they're just trees. And that's not the point of an orange tree. The point of an orange tree, the point of a grapevine, is to bear a lot of fruit. And so this is what I want us to understand from this text. Before we ever get into the how we're supposed to live into this, right, which Jesus gives instruction for, I think it's really important for us to understand the end goal, that God has a purpose in our life, right? God has a purpose for us. He didn't make us to be controlled by the world. That's not his dream for us. He didn't make us to be controlled by all the things that we get controlled by, our, you know, our phones and our attentions on our email and our, uh, the drama in our family and workplace and whatever's going on. Like God didn't make you to be controlled by that. He made you, he designed you for what? For a purpose, to abide in Jesus so that you would bear much fruit, right? God has dreams for us. He has dreams for us individually. He has dreams for us as a church that we would bear much fruit. But what is that fruit? What are the dreams that God has for us? What does the life of a person who is a learner, a disciple of Jesus look like? According to Jesus, the evidence of that connection to him that you have is that you bear fruit. And not just a little, but that you bear much fruit. So what is the fruit then? What's the fruit in the life of a believer? Now, a lot of times when we start talking about the fruit, this is a danger that we get into. We start talking about fruit being produced as followers of Jesus, we immediately start to go down the road of all the things that I do for God, all the ways that I earn and, and produce things for God, right? I've heard this chunk of verses used to talk about how we as Christians should be doing a good job of sharing our faith or serving the poor, and those are all good things, and, and a Christian will inherently do those things, but that's not what Jesus is actually getting at here. Jesus isn't talking about achievement in your spiritual life. He, he, he's not uh, talking about the kind of achievement thinking that's actually taking what the important things in our world and our culture are and imposing them into the Bible. We, we often do that. We call that isogeting the text. We take what we want it to say and we put it in there. Oh, Jesus must mean that we achieve things for God because that is how we are discipled by our culture, right? We're, we're in a time, uh, broadly, where, where who we are is very connected to what we do, right? Somebody says, uh, how are you? What's your name? And the next question is, what do you do? Because that, that's how we have status and that's how we uh, understand who we are, right? When I've taught this for students... Uh, it, it's all connected like for them to grades and college and where am I going to go? And then as you get a little bit older, there's all this pressure to achieve because our, uh, our, our day and age sees achievement as the end goal. That achieving the next stage in life and then it's uh, graduate high school and, and, and people say, oh, what an achievement. Now go to college or go to trade school or finish school. What an achievement. Get your first job. What an achievement. Get a raise. Get a promotion. Start a family. Don't start a family. All of it is achieving, 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 and we end up in this never-ending race of more, more, more. We gotta buy more, we gotta consume more, we gotta have the newest, we gotta achieve more and more. And so what happens is we take that set of ideas and values about achievement and we read the Bible through those lenses. And we hear this text from Jesus about bearing fruit and we go, oh, he must mean achieving stuff for God. And we don't realize Jesus is talking about 
something different, right? We, we go, oh, this means I got to read my Bible more. I got to share my faith more. I got to serve at church more, all of which are good things. And yes, right? But we miss the point Jesus is making. So, so the fruit, I want to argue that Jesus is referring to here is the inward life of your soul. That's what Jesus is getting at here, who you are becoming in him. And so if you were to read all four of the Gospels about the life of Jesus, you would see that there's three main inward realities that really pop out as the central markers of a follower of Jesus. And you know these. These are love, joy, and peace. That Jesus was a person of love, joy, and peace. Right? Next, next Sunday, we're going to kind of do part two of this, and we're going to see how uh, our world and its way of being are not getting us those things. Like, we're not getting love, joy, and peace. I don't think I need to tell you that too much. But this is what Jesus, I think, is referring to or has in his mind as the fruit that he wants to see in the lives of his followers. This is what his followers who heard him here, I think, would have understood and then taught others, right? In fact, a little bit later on in the Bible, another Jesus follower who came later on named Paul, he wrote a letter to the Christians living in Galatia, and he took this idea, I think, of love, joy, and peace, and he expounded on it and fleshed it out, and he wrote what we know as the fruit of the Spirit. Listen to the list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now that is the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits. It's all one thing. And so you have to admit that a life filled with all of that sounds good. I want to live a life filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't know anyone who would say in good faith that I want to live a life filled with the opposite of these. I, I would love to just live a life filled with hate, anger, strife. N nobody says that. N nobody wants that. We, we all want this life of fruit, but the problem that we're having is I think we're trying to get it in every other way than what Jesus says here, because what Jesus says here sounds too simple and too good to be true to us. Just abide in me. Jesus is trying to show you the way to get to this kind of life. And as we recently saw in John 14, Jesus already told us that he himself is the way. He is the life. He's not some other, he's not getting you to something else. He's it. We talked about this when we talked about heaven. Jesus doesn't get you to some place that's heaven and then you kind of forget about Jesus. The presence of Jesus is heaven. That's what he's getting at here. This is what Jesus means in John by when he talks all the time about life to the full or eternal life. It's a life that is oozing with these traits that starts now, that's bearing much fruit. And this fruitful life at its core is about being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus through being with Jesus so that we then begin to do what Jesus did in the world because we're with him and we're becoming like him. Now, how do we know that Jesus isn't talking about some kind of achievement-based living where we're getting this life to the full based on what we do, right? H how do we know that? Because can we just admit it'd be way easier if Jesus just gave us a to-do list? Jesus, just like, can you get in, go into my iCloud settings, go into my to-do app, and just make a list for me, and I could just check the things off the list? Well, that's what we call religion, the kind of religion that that doesn't work with Christianity. How, how do we know that this isn't what Jesus is talking about, right? L look at what Jesus says in verse three. 
already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. This is so important for us. Last week, we talked about the doctrine of adoption and how uh, vital it is. We, we saw that, uh, I gave you several quotes basically saying that if you want to know how well you understand Christianity, under, see how well you understand the doctrine of adoption. Justification, so incredibly important, but justification's end game is adoption into the family of God. And, and so, you know, as the Holy Spirit does, this week I happened to see, just happened to see a video uh, where a person was talking, uh, Paul Tripp, who's another Bible teacher, was talking about the effects that uh, adoption has on the identity of adopted children, which, of course, is pretty interesting to me. And so he was saying that there is always something inside of an adopted child that knows, I don't see myself in the face of my adopted mom. Where do I come from? Who am I? And I, and I think that when we talk about being adopted into the family of God, this might be the greatest spiritual battle you face. Understanding who am I really, and over and over and over and over again, Jesus, the authors of the New Testament, God in the Old Testament wants to drive into your head who you are, and Jesus is doing it right here. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. He just said, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm bringing you with me. Who you are is my people, and I am your God. That's who you are. And so here's a translation, right? If you're following me, Jesus says, already you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. He says this to his disciples. He's saying, if you're following me, you're already part of the family. You're in Right? You're already in, and the way you got in is that I spoke over you and brought you in. Jesus is saying to these guys in this moment in John 15, and I think to each of us this morning, whether you're in the room or you're watching online, you didn't achieve your way into becoming my disciple. You can't achieve your way into becoming my disciple. You didn't achieve your way into the family of God. You didn't clean yourself up, and therefore... You don't have to continue to clean yourself up on your own. What does Jesus say? You, those of you who know yourself to be a disciple of Jesus, you are already clean because of the word that I spoke to you or the word I've spoken over you. Now, this is what we might talk about. And we're going to get a little bit of like doctrine here of positional and progressive sanctification. San to be sanctified simply means to be set apart. That's what it means. So in Christianity, when we say that we're being sanctified, we mean that there is in our lives a reality that God is at work to make us into someone different than we were. We, he is, we, we are becoming more and more like what God already says that we are. We're being set apart, but that we are, we are being set apart right now, that reality is based on another reality that Jesus just taught here. You have already been set apart. So be set apart. You're already clean because of the word that I spoke to you. So Jesus, in the middle of teaching all, in the middle of this teaching all about progressing in sanctification by, being, by abiding in him, that's what he's doing. He's teaching, like, you're going to bear fruit, you're going to grow in me by being with me. Abide. He pauses for just a second and he reminds and teaches us here that the reason that we can pursue this fruit that God wants for us is that we've already been made clean. Not by our own achievement, but by the word of Christ over us. 
And for us, that word is trusting in Jesus, that he speaks over us a word of justification and adoption so that we are made right, brought into the family of God, grafted into that vine, if you will, and we're set free then to abide in him in order to bear the fruit that God dreams for us. God is about who you are becoming. And so in, in my own story of walking with Jesus, there came a time, and I, if you've walked with Jesus for a long time, you had this moment too. I knew I was a disciple of Jesus, but like, I, I was like, what do I do now? What, what am I supposed to do? I, I didn't know what I was supposed to be achieving, right? And so this word from Jesus here is the word I, I just want to leave us with this morning. And it's, it's the word I hope you keep in your heart and, you, and your mind as you live with Jesus in this world this week. If you know Jesus, you are already clean. You are clean. This is why you can sing to him. This is why you can greet one another as part of God's community. It's why you can take communion a little bit later, that you are already clean because of what Christ has done for you. But just being clean and just being in is not all that God wants for you. God wants so much more. He wants you to bear much fruit. He wants you to continue to walk in that. He wants you to experience a life filled with love, joy, and peace, not a life filled with anxiety, addiction, conflict, constantly needing more of what won't fill you. It's not God's dream for us. He, he doesn't want that for you. He wants you to be a person of love, joy, and peace. And thankfully, right here in this text, he's going to tell us how to do that. Right? He's gonna, and it's not going to be the list we think it is, which is always kind of frustrating with Jesus. He's got, I'll tell you how to, how to get this, just be with me. And we're like, no, 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 no. Like, what do I do, though? And Jesus is, that's it, just be with me. Abide in me. He says that this is the one thing that will move us towards this life of bearing much fruit, and that's that Bible word, abiding. And so this is not a word we use much. I don't talk about, a, I abide in my home, right? I don't talk about it like that. But it's a good Bible word, and so next Sunday we're just going to look at what abiding is. And I know we've talked about this before, but it's, this is where we are in John. And so two simple ways to actually abide we're going to cover, and then we're going to do a little bit of a practicum together, like we're going to practice a little bit in our service together. So that's where we're headed next week. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for this word. Thank you for using somebody who's just like us in John to write it down so that we might have it. And uh, Holy Spirit, we thank you for uh, what you're doing in us in, in empowering us to abide in Jesus and to, to do uh, that work of staying close so that we might bear the fruit that you want for each of our lives. And I just pray that uh, we would hear your voice more clearly this week as we spend time abiding in you and listening to you, our good shepherd, and, and hearing what you have for us. And I just ask that as we continue this morning, as we finish up our time together, that you would bless uh, what we've done here so that when we go out, we could begin to bear fruit for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.